Glad you could join us for episode 120 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave and joined as always by my co-host Wayne as we continue our discussion of Joss Whedon's Space Western Firefly starring Nathan Fillion and Gina Torres and uh, you're getting ready to beat it out of town. Hopefully not as quick as the crew of Serenity though. You don't you don't have anybody after you, do you? Nope, nope. No, the law is not on my heels at all. Just going up to Lake Placid for a lacrosse tournament, some camping, some camaraderie with some old college friends. All right. Sounds good. All right. Now, speaking of friends, we'd love to hear from you listeners via email at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. I thought you were going to do uh, tell a David Schwimmer story there for a second. I don't know what that is. Because you said speaking of friends. So. Uh, no. <laughs> you know David Schwimmer from Friends I TV show? Know. I do. What? No, I know who he is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, <laughs> all right. We'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can record a voicemail via the send voicemail tab, also known as the speak pipe tab. You can also record your own audio clip and send the MP3 as an attachment or just send us a tweet at sci-fi TV rewatch. And as always, we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. So, all right, Wayne, want to do a quick listener shout out this week. And, you know, as we periodically acknowledge listeners who've been favoriting, retweeting our posts, and obviously most of the Twitter handles, uh, I think, lead me to think that they are Dark Angel fans, which, you know, makes it that much more difficult for us to uh, have them wait for us to resume our season two podcast. But we will return, we promise, uh, hopefully to see Max and Logan getting busy, you know? Yeah, maybe. Uh, and hope they'll stay with us through the interim. Uh, I'd like to thank the following this time for favoriting, retweeting, and participating in the show. Tracy Diane Miller, CatMac528, Scarlet, VROX, Just Jensen Dean, SPN Freak for Life, Saba, Alexa, Emo, Corin Swint, Doris Gaskell, Ms. Spin, and of course, Kimmy at Dark Angel Underground. So uh, we definitely appreciate you guys keeping us in your Twitter feed. All right. So Firefly News tonight, Wayne. We're running out of people to talk about. And tonight's featured yeah. actor is Gina Torres. Let's do it. Now, uh, she is a series regular on USA Network's Suits. You ever You ever seen that? Nope. I've seen a couple here and there. It's like this guy was a white collar criminal and the feds, you know, get him out of prison early so that he can basically help them catch the bad guys like he used to be. Oh, uh, okay. So I thought it was like a fashion reality show. <laughs> uh, no, it's not. Uh, you know, the couple episodes I've seen here and there were pretty good. But now she also has recurring roles on Hannibal, uh, which obviously uh, we not know. Anymore. And, uh, well, right. Well, through the this year, season anyway. Uh, and then a show called Revenge. She appeared, as I'm sure you know, as a badass lawyer in an episode of Castle. But yep. my first exposure to Gina Torres was back in 2001 when she played Sidney Bristow's arch enemy, Anna Espinosa, in J.J. Abrams' Alias. And I'm not sure. Who would win, Anna Espinosa or Zoe? Not sure. That would be a close call. I've never seen Alias, so I can't make the call there, but uh, Zoe's pretty hardcore. 
Yeah, somewhere down the road. And she's altruistic, as we saw. Yes, she is. Well, somewhere down the road, you and I may have to at least look at the alias pilot within the context of sci-fi TV rewatch. Uh, it's, a, it's a long show and a lot of, lot of episodes, five seasons. But uh, the pilot is, honestly, I think it's one of the best pilots I've ever seen. All right. Well, anyway, we are here to talk about Firefly Episode 8, Out of Gas, written by Tim Minear, directed by David Solomon, who has a vast resume with Buffy, Dollhouse, Fringe, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, and this one aired October 25th, 2002. And, you know, I, I don't know if we actually came out and said it to each other, but, it, it, you know, it's almost like, oh, I forgot how great this episode was. Yeah, well, when I saw this the next episode, like I kind of like instinctually said, oh, wow, this is a really good episode. But I couldn't remember why it was such a good episode. And then as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why this episode just totally rocks. Yeah. Now, you know, I go to IMDb for the episode after I've watched it. So, so in other words, you know, I'm not seeing how many episodes a character's in, but, you know, if I need a name of an actor or whatever. And I think most of our listeners are familiar with the rating system at IMDb. And generally, the critics are, are they're pretty harsh so that if you get a show that's in the mid sevens to high sevens, that's a pretty good show. Usually this episode got a 9.5. Yeah, I believe it. All right. Well, this story's told through a series of flashbacks, but what's unusual is that it takes us a while to determine which story is in the present. And then in addition to revealing even more about our characters, personas were filled in on the origin stories Uh, of the original crew of six. I mean, obviously we already knew about the Tams and Shepard book because we saw that in the pilot. Uh, We already knew Zoe's story more or less, but we learn how Wash, Kaylee, Jane, and Inara come to call Serenity their home. There's almost nothing this episode doesn't have. Yeah. And the, the main thing, what makes it such an exceptional piece of television is, as you said, the narrative itself, you know, like just, cutting from all these different going to what is quote unquote the present actually starting with the present at the end well but the present being right before the end of the show like if we were put this chronologically him collapsing you know on on the grading there that happens at the very beginning of the show that would happen almost at the very end of the show right right but that is more or less you know for better or worse that is the present sure yeah but yeah, and then, you know, so it goes not just back to the flashbacks of remembering the crew when they all first arrived, but also the flashbacks to what's going on right now. Right, exactly. The the recent past flashbacks and then, you know, like the, the flashbacks that give us the origins of the crew. So And how it, uh, you know, they intercut all of those and yet maintain a coherent narrative is just, that's just awesome. Oh, yeah. oh hats uh, off to Tim Minear for for this one. Yeah, I mean, one of the ones that sticks out foremost in my mind is the one where uh, they need the shot of adrenaline. Yes, and you know, it goes from grabbing it for Zoe to grabbing it for, or him grabbing it for himself. Actually, Mal, that is right, and that's where we see he's got a bandage and he's bleeding. Yep, like because we knew he was suffering and we assume this because i think at that point we do know that i think we've gotten the flashback that the the ship's running out of air um but that's the first time we see that he's been wounded somehow yeah and uh and everything yep 
the opening scene, which you've already alluded to, which is the interior of what appears to be Serenity, though it looks devoid of cargo and personnel. There is, however, a man lying face down on a grate, and we we finally figure out that that is Mal. It's, it's a little difficult at first. You think it's him, but then we do know that. But then it immediately flashes back to Mal bringing Zoe to show her that he bought a ship. She, she's unimpressed, and despite his trying to get her to see the possibilities, she tells him he got ripped off. But for him, it represents freedom from the Alliance, mentions that he wants to hire a pilot, a mechanic, a cook, and especially since the ship's not running at the present, the mechanic is kind of uh, important and tells her he's already got a name chosen, though he doesn't tell it, but obviously we know what it is. Right. And... We kind of figure out what Feiyu means. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, you see, for him, as you said, the big thing is, you know, this represents freedom. You know, and Zoe is always the pragmatist. It's like this ship is a piece of poo. It's not even worth it. It's ridiculous. Even despite, you know, as we said about Malcolm Reynolds, you know, there is that cynical part to him, but there is that really optimistic part and i think that optimist we really 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 see in this episode you know oh yeah that that hopeful we've got to try let's we got to do something type of guy uh we see here and not that cynic that we saw in like the pilot right and and, you know the whole idea he said it i forget which episode it was in that he may have been on the losing side not sure it was the wrong side and, and at this point, that freedom to just stay one step ahead of the alliance and leave us alone. The, you know, kind of the classic libertarian in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But well, like he says, you know, we could, this thing will run till the end of our days. And so he's like, yeah, because it's a death trap. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, what really strikes you uh, throughout these, these flashbacks to the crew coming on board is the disrepair that serenity is in and and it's amazing that they ever got her in, in as good a shape as they did with sure. that, with that smaller crew well you, you know found a pretty good uh pretty good mechanic there yeah. fenster they did indeed all right well why don't we start with the present where you know mal is alone after the crew's been evacuated and, and like we said we see mal struggling to get up from the floor and he's trudging while carrying what appears to be a part for the ship. Obviously, we, we learned that's, in fact, what it is. But I think the other thing that strikes me now, having seen the whole episode, is are these scenes that we see, these flashbacks, is this almost like him, his life flashing before his eyes as he's literally dying? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Which, which makes it even more powerful than it already was. Or, yeah, and it's not necessarily like your life, like if you're in a car accident, all of a sudden you see your whole life suddenly flash before your eyes. It's more like he's alone, definitely dying, and he's alone, and he, you know, is reflective, I guess. Right, and maybe that takes him back to that statement that Anara made, Mal, you don't have to die alone. And then he's like, we all die alone, which then goes back to his pessimistic side. Sure. We see him struggling still. It appears he's been shot in the chest or stomach. Uh, I guess it's the stomach, actually. And then we flash back to him struggling in the infirmary, going to that same drawer that that he got the adrenaline for Zoe, pulls out 
same, not the same needle, but yeah, obviously they had multiple ones in there and then plunges it into his own chest, even though he's already been wounded. I mean, is, I guess, is that the only way, the only place you can inject adrenaline? Well, here is where I think Quentin Tarantino's uh, hand is evident because I had never seen this at all before Pulp Fiction. And ever since Pulp Fiction is now like this total cliche of taking the big syringe of adrenaline and, you know, jamming it into someone's chest. Well, this came before Pulp Fiction, didn't it? Or no? I don't think so. No, definitely not. So Pulp Fiction's in the 90s? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. That's older than I thought. Yep. All right. Well, we see wounded Mal carrying the part. We hear the ship's computer mentioning about the failing life support. And now we know that it's all part of the same story because, uh, you know, when we get to the recent past and we, and we learn about why he is in fact alone on the ship, you know, now we're able to put it all together. He struggles to install the part that he's been carrying, of course, drops it, <laughs> Right. but then, you know, he gets a call from another ship right that that there you know somebody did hear the distress call we well actually the guy says he heard the distress call he's cl- obviously close enough to actually make visual contact you know? right right because this is right after he gets the call then we see the ship pulling up alongside them right and uh this guy is acting really suspicious of mal obviously it turns out to be the other way around but he says yeah i, I probably got a part we did a salvage, you know, I'll come on over, no guns and all that stuff. But of course he and his crew are bringing the guns. Mao says, I thought we were going to be reasonable. And then all of a sudden he shoots him. Of course, Mao goes down. You know, we, we do see him, you know, with the camera flashes real quickly on that gun in the holster and he gets it quickly and manages to, uh, to get out, but he orders them to leave the ship. And then the guy says, you would have done the same. You remember what he says? I, I can't remember exactly the words. It's kind of along the lines of, I think, you he's, know. He says, clearly I wouldn't. <laughs> because yeah. if, I, if I would have, I'd have already I shot I you. I killed you, right. Yeah. Yep. So then we see him struggling to install the part. He's bleeding, gets the ship running. And then we, of course, it's like, okay, get to wash his alert button and bring the shuttles back. But he falls and passes out. And now look, I mean, obviously we... You know, no. And I mean, I guess first time around, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I I think we we assume something's going to happen to bring them back. But at this point, you know, he's not able to push Wash's button. All right. So so then, you know, we've got this recent pass, which is the storyline that kind of leads up to this. And what makes this episode I think all the more meaningful to me is is that the first scene we see is the crews at dinner. Have they ever been in higher spirits? I, I think we've actually had a couple scenes of just them sitting around the table and laughing and everything. And uh, I love those scenes. That's like the best. This one is is it was just great. You know, like everyone's just you know laughing, having a good time, and there's you know, it's just like like a a really close family sitting down to dinner together yeah i mean shepherd books telling stories from the monastery and then of course jane uh gets bored when simon starts telling his story and yeah I, I, with with good reason yeah yeah and asks inara to <laughs> tell one of her stories and, and i love the way you know oh yeah i've got some good stories sexy stories and you're not going to hear one of them yeah and then, like jane classic is like well who would know and she's like you yeah right right <laughs> like, 
Right. But you know who I really wanted to notice and, and I did in all of this is River. Uh-huh. And she's really it's like a genuine smile on her face. She's into it just like everybody else. And, and again, just like baby steps in, in in terms of her character. But, you know, she seems to be in with everybody at this point. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I did also notice that River was laughing and getting along with everybody else. So it's cool. Yep. Well, it turns out it's Simon's birthday. Kaylee's made him a cake with candles, which was <laughs> pretty interesting. He's a little curious. How'd you know it was my birthday? And we find out that there's been a fresh warrant placed out over the cortex that had his birthday. And she tells him, I'm sorry, River tells him, uh, first of all, she has some kind of, again, scientific explanation for (laughs) something i didn't get you anything (laughs) and she follows it up with you know she still appears happy but before he can blow out the candles the lights go out and just before anything actually happens you hear river utter fire right now obviously there is a fire does she have extrasensory yeah powers okay yes i think at small times she has shown this ability to perceive things before they actually happen. You know, at this point, maybe we're just thinking she has heightened olfactory senses, but you think it's more than that. Yeah. I I think it's more than that. I mean, we know it's more more than that. (laughs) But but, I mean, it's just, it's not like, and, and we will see later that she can, not necessarily read minds, but she can, you know, but she just is like hyper aware of everything around her. So I would say it's probably all her senses working together that she knew that there was a fire because at that time there was a fire. It's just everyone else didn't know about it yet, but right. she was able to sense that. Right, exactly. And the explosion rocks the crew, knocking out Zoe. Now, they do their best to seal off the fire, open the doors to vent it to space, which, which works. And, and, you know, we've seen this technique in other shows. I can't think of which one's offhand. Uh, but the other thing that I love is the scene when we're outside Serenity. And do you remember what you heard? Nothing. Oh, right. Right? Because, yeah. you know, so many space shows just – ignore the fact that there is no sound in space and and it was this eerie silence not too long just a couple seconds and then we're back in the interior well and also that you can't like have fire and explode and you see that because it was actually a really really cool scene um as that tunnel of flame is escaping from the ship looked really cool and then it just dissipates once it gets outside the ship because you know obviously flames can't exist in space uh, and just like, you know, that's like kind of thing with like Star Wars and all these, uh, you know, like ships and things don't like blow up in big flames in space. Right, right. right. And, and you know, you mentioned the strength of the editing, you know, visually, I think you meant the, the, but the strength of the editing with the dialogue also, because, you know, the fire's out, Zoe's in the infirmary as Simon's assessing the situation and everybody's there understandably worried. And then Kaylee tells Mal she ain't moving. And we think she's referring to Zoe, but obviously both of them are actually referring to Serenity. Right. And then he asks her to, you know, get to the engine room, figure out what's happened, get the ship running. That scene with Wash was really difficult to watch. Yeah. And you see, like, Mal 
in different ways. He knows what has to be done, and he also knows how to get people to do what needs to be done. For Kaylee, he talks very quietly. He uses a very soft voice with her, very encouraging, gentle manner. Good girl. Yeah. With Wash, not so much, right? Well, it, it, certainly in this instance, I mean, there we've seen other scenes before where he had to get Wash to do something, but I guess we've never seen Wash placed in this kind of situation before. And like you said, it's up to Malcolm to know what has to be done. And, and in fact, he says, I ain't asking, I'm telling. And, and it's tough. And this is where, you know, the, the burden of leadership comes in because obviously his wife is hurt. He's distraught. He is, the natural thing would be for him to want to be there with Zoe, but they've got other things to do. They're, that are life and death type things, and Mal needs him to do them. He, you know, he doesn't have time to dance around with Wash. Right. I mean, it's it's even like the scene when uh, Simon is trying to go get his medical supplies, and Jane won't let him. And you know, he says, "Well, she may die." And he says, "If I let you, we'll all die." Right. You know that 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 he realizes at this point that Wash has to be on the helm. All right. So Zoe's heart has stopped. And then when Book suggests getting washed, Mal emphatically says no, goes to that drawer to get the needle. Simon stabs her with pure adrenaline. And then, of course, you know, we cut to that other scene that we already talked about when Mal is bleeding near death and and gets the adrenaline shot for himself. Kaylee lets Mal know that Serenity is dead in the water and it's unlikely she can fix her, which is, again, a side of her that we've not seen. I mean, you know, she's upbeat. I can fix anything. Apparently not this time, but that's not the worst. Life support's out, and yep. they've only got a couple hours of air left. Yep. Right. Well, but before that, you know, back to Wash is the the soup, the big flashback to when, and here's our, you know, we had that big the flashback with um, Mal and Zoe, and now we see when Wash came aboard Serenity, and he's you know checking out the ship, and he's got the Hawaiian shirt and the mustache and everything. I don't like him, sir. Yeah, yeah, that's classic. He just bothers me. <laughs> yeah, um, right. And and you know, then Inara has this little conversation with Simon where she says that she loves Serenity and has from the first time she saw her. Which again, um, not what we expected. And then, of course, we flash back to the scene with with her and Malcolm when he's trying to. Uh, you know, get her to sign a lease for the shuttle. But seeing Book reading his Bible, you know, because at this point, everybody knows what's going on. They know their life support is out. They know they've got a few hours. And River tells him, you know, what he already knows is that it tells him to be unafraid. And he acknowledges that. And she says, but you're afraid anyway, aren't you? And he says, yes. And then she goes the same way that Simon began clinically describing the way they would die. River mentions that, well, we'll freeze to death first. Right. It's just, you know, you're worried you're going to suffocate. And he's like, yeah, I am. And she's like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll freeze to death first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But she's talking the book again, though, which is nice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, his hair is under control. Yeah. Um, but, you know, then, and there certainly are a lot of scenes that are difficult to watch, but the one now with Kaylee, who feels responsible for what's happened to the ship, you know, that, you know, she usually talks to me and lets me know when something's wrong. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. She should have been able to anticipate a part failing 
And, you know, Malcolm's going to have none of that. You know, you need to figure something out. And that's difficult because she's so despondent at this point. And then she says, sometimes a thing gets broke, can't be fixed. Yeah. And, and when she says that, I mean, the, the first thing I thought was that that line of reasoning applies to every member of the crew, that they've been sure. broke and now being a member of Serenity is helping them to f- get fixed. Right. So, you know, her way of thinking that sometimes things are broken that can't be fixed is not Mal's way of thinking. Or, you know, it really shouldn't be fair. She just needs to look at this crew and realize that there's all kinds of broken people in some way or another, and they all are on a path to redemption or becoming better or more whole. And uh, and that's kind of like what serenity does. Yeah. Literally and figuratively. Yep. Well, Mal makes the decision that most captains of any kind of ship, I'm, I'm sure, dread, gets the crew together, tells them that their only hope is to send out four per shuttle. He's going to stay with Serenity, and obviously the mood is understandably sedate. Inara, Book, Kaylee, Jane will be in one. Simon, River, Wash, and Zoe will be in the other. And then, you know, Inara goes after Mel, telling him, you know, what I mentioned already, that he doesn't have to go down with the ship. But she, I think instinctively she knows it's not going to change his mind. You know, she tells him, what's the difference five or four in one of the shuttles? But, you know, it's... This kind of, again, we said we see this really optimistic part of Malcolm here that he honestly believes that it's somehow it's going to work out, that someone's going to hear the signal and that someone needs to be here to fix the ship. See, I don't think that. I think that he feels like he's buying his crew a little time, but I think he thinks he's going down with the ship. Well, I think that's part of it, but I think you know, at least what he says to others, and maybe he's just putting on a brave face, but he, you know, seems to maintain this belief that it's possible. It's maybe not likely that someone will hear it, but it's possible. And if someone hears it, then, and really, if if they don't get serenity fixed, they're all dead anyway, right? Well, true. Yeah, no question. Because the shuttles, there's nowhere to go. You know, they've just, they've extended their lives for a little bit longer. But uh, basically, their their hope of survival is for someone to get Serenity up and running. Right. And then I, I thought it was just a brilliant touch that Wash, as angry as he was with Malcolm, you know, for forcing him away from Zoe's side, he set up comms now that when Malcolm's miracle arrives, all he's got to do is push that red button and he can call back both shuttles. Yeah. And that was a great scene there. They're shouting at each other and... Uh, as they're arguing, Wash realizes that Malcolm actually has like a decent idea that you know might possibly work. <laughs> that is funny. He's like, "Okay, why why don't I do do that then?" <laughs> right, and in fact, you know, once you know, all the dire straits started occurring, that was the one little bit of levity that we had. And and uh, again, I love the way the the writers put that dialogue in there. I mean, they're yelling at each other, but it is supposed to be funny because we both know that they realize that. That is correct. The shuttles depart. Mal goes to the bridge, wraps himself in a blanket. I feel like he's just sitting down waiting to die. You, you disagree. Uh, well, I mean, I think it's it's part of it, but he could do that anywhere, right? Like If he was just waiting to die, he could go to his bed and be comfortable. But... Yeah, but he's the captain of the ship. I mean, where, right. where should he be except at the helm? Right, and where also he could hear any signals from if someone should signal to them. Right, and in fact, 
uh, the signal does come, uh, you know, he manages to hear it, even though it does appear that he's passed out. And then, of course, the he sets up meeting for the other crew from the other ship to come over with the part. And uh, we already talked about that. Now, I don't want to say my favorite part of this storytelling device are the flashbacks to the origins of the crew, but it probably is. Well, it, it's it's interesting to see because, you know, we know these characters already. And so to go and see how they became, how they all, because that's like one of the questions, like how did all these people come together? They're, everyone is so different. How'd they end up on the same ship? Right. I mean, we know Simon River and Book. We, we see that in the pilot. Right. Uh, so we flash back to Mal and Zoe trying to sell Wash on taking the pilot's job. And, and he agrees, but like Zoe tells Mal that, Something about him bothers me, sir. <laughs> she yeah. doesn't like him, which she I doesn't like. <laughs> which then leads us to think, okay, well, what is it that brought those two together to the point where they actually got married? Yeah. Well, as Wash himself said a couple episodes, not everyone gets me and Zoe at first glance, right? Yep. Like, and we said that that they're so opposite. Like, how did this ever happen? Love is a strange thing. Yep. So as as he's trying to sell her on Wash. He mentions that, well, we do have a genius mechanic and the pilot will simply complete the crew. And then all of a sudden we hear this male voice. Nobody ever called me a genius. And this guy uh, who we've never seen before walks into the scene. Right. And so we're like, wait a minute. How is this guy the mechanic? You know, like Kaylee's the mechanic. Yep. Well, we, well, we find out soon enough. We though. find out. So, well, you know, in, in terms of, you know, breaking it down the way we're doing, we, we find out in this next scene. Of course, it doesn't come Im- immediately. But we flash back to Mal going to the engine room to find out why the mechanic doesn't have the ship running, but finds him having sex. And then when he says a part's bad and he can't fix it, the girl who turns out to be Kaylee says, there ain't nothing wrong with that part. <laughs> yeah. See, I seen the trouble play this day when I was down my back before. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the next thing, you know, it's like she's asking Mal to hand her a wrench or whatever it is. And the next thing you know, she's got the engine up and running, leading Malcolm to offer her a job. And then that guy, it's like, Mal, do we really need two mechanics? I was just I thinking, don't. I was just thinking the same thing myself. And again, I think the, the, the beauty of this scene is, we see Kaylee in a totally different light. Look, I mean, we know she's had the hots for Simon, you know, pretty much since he's been on board, but we've seen her as this sweet, innocent, which clearly she's not, but she is, but she is. I know what you You mean. Yep. That's like the thing about Kaylee, you know, and just, you know, I'm sure you can tell she's like probably my favorite character in the show. And it's just the, and the way Jules State pulls this off is just incredible, especially here in a sex scene. The first time that Malcolm met her, she was, you know, having sex with his mechanic, but yet she doesn't seem abashed nope. or or ashamed or anything like that. And uh, she just actually then goes right into kind of business mode of, uh, of going about her mechanics. And it's... Uh, you know, it's just it's 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 really amazing, like the whole character itself. She's just she's kind of like I can't even call her contradictory, but you know, like you see in this scene where you think you would see her as some kind of tarnished scarlet woman, she still comes across as this kind of bubbly, optimistic, sweet. I, I, I still the word innocent comes to mind, I, even though 
you wouldn't obviously that that word is not appropriate here, but she's, that's what she still seems like. No, I agree with you. Um, and the other thing, her powers of observation, she's not this ship's mechanic, and yet she notices all these things. So, of course, Malcolm does the right thing and hires her on the spot. And again, a nice touch where she says, "I have to go ask my parents," and, yeah, and then right. and then turns around, "Don't leave without me." Right. See, that's what I'm saying. Well, I agree. Right. All right. So, and poor Fester, you know, like not only is he out of a job here, but when he goes to think about it, he's like, hey, I was having sex with this girl and she's analyzing the, the engine. Yeah. Yeah. Like she really wasn't in the moment with me there. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, <laughs> uh, speaking about being in the moment, we flash back to Anara negotiating with Mal about renting the pod. And, and again, you know, I mentioned before that what struck me was the state of disrepair that Serenity is in. And, and as she's looking around the pod that, that he wants to rent to her, you know, it's the same thing there, uh, which is contrasted, you know, later on where everything's shiny and it's almost just amazing that they ever got it to that point. But she tells him what, what we've been talking about, you know, through the first seven episodes is that she has what he wants. And we're thinking like, okay, and that is, we didn't expect, you know, the first time we see it, you know, that whole idea of respectability, but, but obviously seven episodes in, we've learned that a companion does bring a certain level of respectability. Yeah. And, but the way she puts it is, you know, you're going to rent me this ship at a discounted rate. He's like, well, why would I do that? She says, you want me. Yeah. And then. Nathan Fillion disbelieving face, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? And then she's like, but what she meant was, though I'm sure she understood and picked her words with care as she's a companion, but what she tells Mal that she meant by that was that you want the respectability that comes with having a, compa- a companion aboard. Right. But then he even asks her why someone of her standing would want to sign on to a ship like Serenity. I mean, I don't think he's in the, under any illusions about Serenity. And what the plans for her are, and he asks, like, what's she running from? And uh, great question. And, you know, when we start posing questions that that we want to consider as we move forward in the series, you know, what is she running from? Because she's one character I don't think we ever really anticipated that. Even Shepard Book, you know, we feel like there's something that caused him to leave the Abbey. You know, what was it? Um, well, especially when we learn of Shepard Book's you know, status with the government, that, that even increases that more. Um, I like where, you know, Mal suggests that she is running from the Alliance and she's like, no, I supported unification. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, and that's also, of course, that she, and it's also funny how like the kind of the rules that she's setting up, the first thing she says is that no one can enter her, you know, this is my home. No one comes in without my permission. And we know how Mal makes it a practice of just bursting in there without even bothering to knock. Right. And then um, the last thing she says, you know, and that's the last time you call me whore as well. And, you know, also Mal has not really kept to that rule either. Although he's getting better at it. <laughs> it seems like it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, great scene there. And then which one has to be my favorite is the flashback to Jane and his cohorts who are holding Mal and Zoe at gunpoint on Serenity's ramp. So I guess they're trying to steal their cargo. They need Mal to tell him where he's buried the loot, but Mal talks Jane into joining his crew, which was just priceless. Yeah. 
I like you know the uh, the interplay between um, Zoe and Mal there as well. Like seven percent, is that you know? And like Jane's like, but seven percent is good, right? Like they look kind of look at you like, well, you know, not really. Yeah. Zoe, I'm paying you too much. I think. Yeah. So guess, it was great, yeah. and we see like you know that you know Jane is is not the the deep thinker here, but uh, you know he can. He, he he can figure out what side of the, uh, you know, his bread is buttered or whatever, you know. So exactly, and he offers Jane a substantially better deal, and then next thing you know, Jane turns and shoots one of his gang in the knee. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we get to the closing scene of the episode. Uh, you know, we, we've been down the, the you know these three paths with, with you know Mao in the present struggling, having been shot to put the part in the the near term flashbacks that lead us up to the point where the crew has to evacuate and he gets shot, and then of course the the distant flashbacks to the origins of the the, the main crew members because uh, you know our River Simon and Book really crew members. I mean, right. I mean, I mean, I think they've kind of become. I do too. Uh, though they don't necessarily have official jobs like a mechanic or. Although, you know, although Simon's pilot. the doctor. Doctor, right? But they definitely have become. They're they're more. They're certainly more than passengers. Yes, yes. And I think you could argue that Shepard Book does bring, you know, that that sense of faith. Uh, to the crew, uh, obviously Malcolm's not interested, but you know, I mean, we had that scene when when everybody except Malcolm said a prayer before the meal, and, and we still haven't worked out yet what Rivers' role is going to be, but uh, obviously that will uh, become a little clearer. But we see, we we hear these muffled voices of the crew, and and, and it's one of these things where it, it's like if you're listening through headphones, which I wasn't, but I would imagine it would be like, you know, stuff would be going left, right, left, right, and you louder, softer. And the camera shows Mal's face, eyes closed, and then it zooms back to show him on one table, Zoe conscious on the other, and the rest of the crew close by. Right. And it's one of those things where as he's coming to, we're wondering, is this another flashback just as so we're right there where mal is you know waking up and not really knowing uh where he is or what's going on and and we find out that zoe disregarded mal's orders and brought back both shuttles and and then i I love jane well there's something wrong with the nars or we would have been here first the line that i love you know because mal is is still really groggy and and you start to think i mean uh, not seriously and not for too long but you start to think that okay is this his dream state is he is this his wishful thinking that he wakes up on a table next to zoe that they're okay the crew's okay and you know again almost like that scene from the wizard of oz when dorothy wakes up and and you know the the, the other guys are looking in from the uh and the yeah yeah and then he says y'all are going to be here when i wake up right and it's like wow you, you just you kind of glossed over there where they actually get the the ship started again, uh, which is funny because I mean I've seen this episode a lot of times. Even if you've never seen it before, you know obviously he's going to get the ship going again. But still, when he because of the way this story has gone, was starting off seeing him collapsing and everything that has happened since then, and now at the very end, coming back to basically where we started the story. 
But yet now we know everything when he puts that thing in and pulls down the lever and the engine starts, it's still like, I still do this little cheer inside. Yeah. You know, like despite totally knowing what's going to happen, having seen this episode a number of times before, but I still feel that that really that yay moment when uh when he gets the engine started again well yeah but the beauty of that scene i think is also though after you do that that you know little fist bump then it's like he collapses it's like oh no no no! you got to push the red button right 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 and, and it's just it's just you know it's just a wonderful scene uh, how do you make it all the way up the ship only to collapse about three yards from the red button exactly come on now exactly well, the final scene, I, I can't imagine anything better, G- yeah. given everything else we've seen. Mao's at the used ship lot <laughs> with the salesman trying to close a deal on one ship. Mao's not even paying attention because he has his eyes on Serenity resting in the sand across the way. And that's the last visual we see. And, and uh, it's awesome. Know, it is awesome. It is awesome. Fantastic way to end it. It is yeah, just amazing. I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it goes without question. This one gets an A from me, but sure, um, no, no question about it. It's, uh, you know, I, I don't know what else to say. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there's so much irony in here too. You know, like the irony that Malcolm wants to take this route through the middle of nowhere, right? Because he doesn't want to run into any alliance. Right. It would ordinarily only take 18 hours, he says. And it's, this way it's going to take like, I think he says close to a week. So, but because of that, when they have the engine problem, there's there's no one around, right? As Wash points out. So, you know, there's the irony there. Um, you know, of course, the irony that uh, Zoe is less than impressed with Wash, you know, the first time uh, that she meets him. The irony that if they all stay on the ship and Zoe remains in her semi-conscious state, that she'll outlive everyone else because she's right. using less oxygen, right? You know, just uh, it was just really awesome. Yeah, and you know, even even the irony that had they all stayed, had the two shuttles not launched, whether or not that ship they, they might have all died because the guys would have gone through and shot everyone, right? Well, or just maybe not agreed. Maybe they'd figure, well, you know, the we don't have right. we don't have a numbers advantage, right? So you you just never know. Oh, and, and one th- also the, this other thing, um, and this is not part of the irony, as Jane prepares to go onto the ship, he tells Mal, well, I prepped a suit for you, so when the time comes, I guess, I don't know, like floating out in the space and dying is preferable to freezing the de- I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking the same thing. Clearly, Jane felt he was doing something for Mal. And Mal took it that way, you know, that uh, there's nothing else I can do for you. I did this. And like you said, which would be preferable, freezing and, uh, I don't know. Yeah. But then as his last, his parting words to Mal, is just, well. Right, right. Yeah. I, it. You, you thought maybe they would shake hands, but they don't. Right, exactly. There's no sentimental anything between them. He just says, well, and walks off right and and if you think about it uh, was inara going to hug him i think she wanted to i think he but they don't right so yeah like you said just the you know no sentimentality not a surprise out of jane i'm not sure why inara didn't just go hug him 
Yeah. Well, it's a complicated relationship. It is right? indeed. I'll tell you, um, you could do a whole psychology class on that. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Whole semester. Oh, well, just one more thing. Yeah. Jane tries to steal the icing off the birthday cake <laughs> and now slaps him. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that was good. That's so like, cause I got this, this awesome picture of when, uh, my son Brendan was probably like two years old and we went to like to some like burger joint for my daughter's birthday and they, you know, they bring out like a little ice cream sundae and I, I took a picture like when she was like blowing out the candle or something, but it just got right at the right moment as Brendan's <clears throat> finger is reaching up for the ice cream and my wife has turned and clearly yelling at him, you know, it's like caught it all just at the perfect moment, you know? And so that's just like such a, a, a parent child thing where the kid like wants to steal some icing and the parent has to like smack him away or say stop it or whatever is so funny well you know what also struck me about that scene now that you mention it is i mean of course that's the complexity of the relationship between malcolm and jane but also the complexity of character with kaylee who clearly made a beautiful cake with limited supplies not what we would expect out of a mechanic sure so i don't know I just, uh, yeah, there was a lot, you know, that whole scene, I feel like I'm saying that about every scene. (laughs) Was it your favorite scene, Dave? No. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) Anyway. um, All right. Well, I guess that'll do it, right? Yeah, I think so. This is the Emperor. You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Come grab a table, pull up a chair at the Sci-Fi Diner, where the food is always hot and your hosts are... Well, out of this world. Sample some geeky trivia. You, our listeners, need to tell us what a Star Trek series did Tony Amendola guest star in. Dine with celebrity guests. Hi, this is LeVar Burton from Roots, Star Trek The Next Generation. This is Lori Holden from The Walking Dead. And rub shoulders with the locals. This is Floyd of Aurora, Colorado. Hi, this is Rick from Montana. And get it to go with the Sci-Fi 5 and 5. Top 5 movies, one scene cannot be unseen. All served up at SciFiDinerPodcast.com. Serving up science fiction from here to the end of the universe. All right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us. We'd love to hear from you about Firefly, Dark Angel, or anything else you think we should be watching. Also like to encourage you to join the Facebook group. And if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week with Firefly Episode 9, entitled Ariel. But until then... You know, Dave, the best part about doing our own podcast is we ain't never have to be under the heel of nobody ever again. <laughs>